Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. We had a fantastic time yesterday at the Holy Spirit uh, Day Away, just inviting God to come and then feeling his presence manifestly in the room. It was just beautiful. So, um, yeah, and he's here today by his spirit as well. So, um, so, you know, when you come to church, always have that expectation of encounter because God is so desirous to meet with you. You might be hungry to meet with God, but God's hunger to meet with you is much greater. You know, he sent his son uh, to die on a cross so he could have communion with you, have a relationship with you. So he's, he's so invested in wanting to meet with you. Um, so, uh, you know, just open your heart to him today and say, God, I want to have that encounter. I want to leave here having met with the living God uh, by your spirit. So, um, so yeah, it was just, just buzzed to be uh, away yesterday and doing that day. It was fantastic. So we're going to continue with our Coastland series uh, today. Um, we ended up uh, here last week looking at this uh, model of being an attractional uh, and a missional church, uh, inviting people to come in and inviting people to go out. And as we talk, think about this event, this music event, it's an, an attractional event that people are going to come to and encounter God's presence through you and I who will be here. So it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those events that we talked about last week. And our, our goal is not to make it hard for unbelievers to encounter God's presence. So we're trying to remove all the obstacles so they can have a genuine encounter of God's presence. And we're also trying to encourage you guys to go equipped in the power of the Spirit out to wherever God has placed you uh, to witness uh, to God's love and God's grace. And we're going to pick up on that theme today. We're going to look at this whole concept of how we serve our communities, how we serve them, how we serve the people that God has placed us around. Jesus embodied serving. Uh, he came as the servant king, the, the servant leader. And uh, he embodied for us what it is to be servants as he was a servant. It says in Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so when we have people up here saying, would you like to come and serve on the kids' rotor, it's quite a spiritual thing, what they're inviting you into. It's not just like we've got a rotor place that needs to be filled. The whole essence of church culture and following Christ is to serve, is to look for opportunities to give your life for the benefit of others. The Apostle Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on your behalf. Literally, my life is being poured out to serve you and to bless you. And culture is the inverse of that. Culture would say it's about yourself, it's about serving yourself, looking after yourself, getting the best for yourself. But Christ inverts that and says, I didn't come to be served, even though he had every right to be served. I've come to serve. And he graphically demonstrated that on the night that he was betrayed, the Last Supper. The scripture tells us that while everyone was still eating and chatting and his disciples were there, he was the one who, who took the towel and put it round his waist and got down on his hands and knees and began to wash the dirty, smelly feet of his disciples. And it's this incredibly powerful picture. that We read about it and we think, oh, foot washing, you know, take it or leave it. But it's, it's an incredibly powerful picture of what Jesus was trying to embody in saying, I've come to serve you. I've come to serve you. I'm going to take the position of the lowliest servant. The lowliest servant in the household will be the one who washed the dirty feet of the visitors, the guests. So the man, the king of the universe, embodied in flesh, took the position of the lowliest servant and said, right, I've shown you something here. I've shown you how you should be. I've shown you how you should act. I've shown you what you should do and what you should model. 
I'll just pop that scripture up on the screen for you. And the reason Jesus could do this was because it says in, this, in, this ver- in these verses here, it says, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. And he had come from God and he was returning to God. So Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he'd come from. And he knew where he was going. There was a security in his identity. And that meant he could adopt this position of the lowliest servant without any issues around feeling it out of false pride like he was. There was nothing, there were none of those hooks that were present when he did this, when he washed the disciples' feet. He knew the Father had given him all authority. He knew he was in the Father. He knew where he was going to be with the Father. And so that gave him the security to be able to adopt the position of the lowliest servant. And as we think about serving our coast and communities, it's really important that we start from this place of identity in Christ. Because we don't start from that place of identity in Christ, we do it from the wrong motive, we do it from the wrong identity, and it will bend us out of shape. So let's think about this first thing, about serving from a position of our identity in Christ. It says in Galatians 5.13, Use your freedom to serve one another humbly in love. So when you come to Christ, Christ gives you freedom. He frees you from sin. He frees you from controlling behaviors. He frees you from false identities, false beliefs. This is some of the stuff that's covered in freedom in Christ. If you want to go on that course, it's great. But it's all about the truth of God, the truth of who you are in God, the truth of how God has made you, the truth of your identity. And so Galatians says, when you're in that position of freedom, don't use your freedom to serve yourself, to serve the flesh, it says, Use your freedom to serve others. You're now in a position of liberty. You're in a unique position of perspective. And you can use that position of freedom perspective to serve others. And when you go and serve, you can do it from a place of utter security in Christ. Now, most people think this applies just to people inside the church. But it applies to the communities and the neighbourhoods and the towns and the cities where God has placed you and placed you and I to live. We're called to serve those places. And so as we think about serving our community, let's start by thinking about this position of identity in Christ. The first thing we need to do is know our identity in Christ. If we're going to metaphorically wrap the towel around our waist and wash the feet of our towns, then we need to be in a position of security in our identity in Christ and also recognise the authority that God has given us to do that. So if you go out there from a self-righteous attitude or from a position of false humility, then your motives will skew the way you interact with people. You won't be free to serve them as God intended. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders of his time. He was really hard on the Pharisees. He was so hard on the Pharisees because they wouldn't repent of their self-righteousness. They were probably very good at repenting of the things they thought they'd done wrong. They were probably good at repenting of their sins but they wouldn't repent of the sin of self-salvation. They wouldn't repent of their self-righteousness. They believed they were good enough to meet God's standards. Many people think Christians are self-righteous. Yeah? That can be a view people have of Christians. Now, they're on the moral high ground. But actually, the reverse is true. The opposite is true of Christians. We're the most unself-righteous people on the planet. (laughs) Because we recognise our utter need of a saviour. 
We recognize that nothing we can do is going to bring us into a right standing with God. And so when someone really finds Jesus, they recognize that the bad stuff they've done and the good stuff they've tried to do both separate them from God. Because sin separates us from God, but self-salvation separates us from God as well. You see, religion works on this principle. If I live like this, I'll be saved and blessed. Yeah? If I live this way, if I do these things, I'll be saved and blessed. That's what the Pharisees believed. But the gospel of Jesus is the opposite of that. The gospel of Jesus says, I am saved, therefore I'm going to live from that place of being blessed. And the reason I want to say this is every culture has a tendency towards self-salvation, a tendency towards religion. Through recent history, traditional culture has made a saviour out of the family, out of the family and out of marriage. Modern culture, more recently, has made a saviour out of self-fulfilment, self-expression. And our current postmodern culture that we live in now makes a saviour out of a group identity. Who can I associate with? Who can I cluster around? Who can I connect with? Can I be part of something? And any religion or self-salvation leads to a false identity. It leads to an insecure identity. If you're living from a religious identity, you're either going to feel inferior at one moment or superior the next. You're going to feel inferior because you haven't met your own standards. Anybody out there today? You're going to feel superior because you haven't met your own standards. Anybody out there today? No. Okay. And because we live, if you live from this religious identity, you're always going to be anxious, always going to be nervous, always going to be unsure whether you've quite cut it, whether you've quite made it. And many people who live with a religious mindset live in that state of, I'm not sure whether I'm good enough, or I'm feeling morally superior today because I've had a good week. I know other people who haven't. You're never sure you've arrived with a religious mindset. But the gospel that we carry is the gospel of sheer grace that says nothing you can do can put you into a right standing with God. It cuts right to the heart of self-salvation. You can be humble because you recognize all your faults and flaws, but you know Jesus died for you. And you can be bold because you know that because of all, even because of all your faults and flaws, Jesus would still go to the cross for you and die for you. So in this unique position as Christians with our identity, we have humility and we have boldness and courage because we recognize with these clay jars with the treasure of Christ inside. And so as we go out to serve our communities, we go out from this unique identity of not being motivated by fear or by pride or by self-serving or, or self-religion, the gospel motivates us to serve our communities through grace and joy from the unique position we have in Christ. See, Christianity is the only faith that has someone dying for their enemies. There is no other religion on the planet that has someone dying for their enemies. The Bible says, while you are still an enemy of God, Christ died for you. While you were still an enemy of God, Christ died for you. And so Christianity is utterly unique in the identity of utter grace out into our communities. 
See, Christianity is not just about life improvement or following a great teacher who had some great ideas about how communities should live. It cuts to the heart of self-salvation. And it says, you are in a desperate place, but I love you enough that I've died for you. And I've brought you into a place of utter joy and utter transformation. And that's what we present to our communities. That's the place we have to start. So the reason I want to start there this morning is if you've got hints of religion in you, you need to say, God, can you come and deal with them for me? Because I don't want to live a life where one moment I'm feeling inferior and one moment I'm feeling superior. I don't want to live a life where I'm never quite sure whether I've made it, never quite sure whether I've cut it, never quite sure whether I'm measuring up. Christ delivers us from those things. And so we can put the towel of service around our waist and we can go to our communities in confidence, not in pride, but in confidence that we can serve with the authority and identity that God has given us. And I really do recommend Freedom in Christ to you because it goes methodically through these different things and really helps build Christ-like identity in us. So the second thing we need to think about is the culture that we're facing as we go out and serve our communities. Traditional culture from around the 4th to the 20th century, it put the church very much at the centre of society. The church is right there in the centre. And you can see as you drive through towns and villages, you often find a church slap bang in the middle of the community. The community was formed around the church. The church had a position of prominence and influence in the community. From about the 1960s onwards, the church was seen to be sort of obsolete and less relevant. And the church moved from that position of influence and got less and less of a voice into society. In our postmodern, or you could say our post-Christian society that we now live in, the church is very much on the margins. The church is very much on the margins. And it's now looking to infiltrate missionally back into community. We're infiltrating a diverse and pluralistic society A society that has all sorts of different beliefs and mindsets and and folk theology that's been built up around different things. And the church is now on the margins looking to infiltrate into that culture. And it's an exciting place to be. Because this is where the church started way back in the book of Acts. The church started on the margins. The church started trying to infiltrate culture. In fact, for the first 150 years of the church, this is where the church functioned and was at its best. And sometimes we get nervous about the fact we should try and get the church back into the middle of society. Well, it never started there. In fact, Christendom, which is when the church and state got twinned, had a lot, created a lot of problems for the church because people sort of automatically became Christians by birth. They didn't have the power encounters. They didn't have the the gospel encounters. They were just hoovered up into the church because the church was the center of society. And because of that, a lot of people weren't encountering the truth of who Christ was. But now in this post-Christian society, we have the chance again to bring Christ to people who've never heard about him. Isn't that fantastic? They've got no religious baggage. They've got no religious hang-ups. They've got, they've got a clean slate in which you can present the beautiful Jesus to them. You don't have to say, well, he's not this and he's not that and he's not the other. You can say, this is Jesus. This is the person of Jesus. And we can have those beautiful encounters again of taking Jesus to people who've never even heard about him never even experienced him. We can be the incarnational presence of God infiltrating culture once again. 
I love the message translation of 1 John. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that fantastic? The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And this is the chance the church has got again to become flesh and blood and move into the neighborhood wherever God has placed you and placed me. And so we're these scattered servants. We, we're the people who seek the lost. The church no longer depends on what you could call the little Bo Peep model. Leave them alone and they will come home, wagging their tails behind them. Well, they won't. They won't. The sheep aren't going to come home wagging their tails behind. Those days are gone. We're now, just as Jesus told in the stories, we're the shepherds who go after the lost sheep. We're the, we're the people who pursue the ones who are lost. You could say that scattered sheep need scattered shepherds, and that's what God has called us to be. We're to go and to find where the people are and bring the love and truth of Jesus to them. So we don't take the church to people when we meet them. We take the gospel to people. We take the love and the grace that God has given us. That beautiful simplicity that Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is near to you. God is near to you. And I'm bringing you the good news that you can be restored into a relationship with him. And we break down that, that sacred, secular divide that grew up through the 4th to the 20th centuries. I've shared with you a, a number of times, I had a picture years ago about the church being like a frayed rug. Many rugs are, are finished with a nice tied, tied edge, a bounded edge. But God said, I want my church to be a ragged edge, like all these different fronds that are reaching into community and into the church. And it's very hard to see where one starts and one stops. And I think we have a... We have a, a beautiful building for doing things like that. People don't know where the church starts, starts and stops in Riverside. They, they can't see the join. There's no line that says church, sacred, secular. They come in, they wander around, they go, well, where is the church? And you say, well, you're in the church. You know, like, well, where does it start? Where does it stop? Where does it end? It's all over because it's God's presence and God's people. And so when we, when we host events like the music nights, people are going to come into the building and think, this is great. This is a church. This is bizarre. This is weird, but it's great. And that opens the door for so many incarnational questions and, and conversations. And so we have this beautiful third space here at Riverside that lets us do the gospel in a blank canvas in a way that these people have no Christian furniture in their minds can begin to journey and find faith in Christ. And so this is a good season to be in. People often, often you know, think, from a traditional mindset, that we're in a bad place as church. But actually, we're in a very good place as church because we get to rediscover what it is to take the gospel into society rather than depending on tradition or mindset that's been there before. We get to think again about how we do that. I spent some time with a vineyard in Lebanon years ago and I had to go and just take Jesus. I couldn't take Christianity with me because Christianity was seen as a right-wing oppressor to the people in Lebanon. Christianity meant Apache gunships. Christianity meant oppression. So I couldn't talk about Christianity. I had to go and talk about Jesus. And that forced me back into the Gospels, back into looking at the person of Jesus. What did he say? How did he live? What did he do? Pre-Christendom, what was it like to follow Jesus? And we have a chance again to rediscover what it is to follow Jesus in these post-Christian times. So I really encourage you, Get back into the Gospels. Look again at the person of Jesus. Let Christendom fall away and rediscover who he is and what he did and what he said. Because a lot of what we carry isn't from Jesus. It's stuff we've picked up on the way 
from tradition and from Christian culture. So we got this great opportunity to re-engage with culture. We need to ask God to show us the longing, the hungers of our community. There are lots of hungers out there that the people have in our communities. There's a hunger, I'm sure, for love and for connection. It's one of the biggest human needs that everyone carries. Mother Teresa said this, she said, when she looked at the Western world, she said, people are hungry for love and for understanding, which are the only answers to loneliness and great spiritual poverty. People are suffering from terrible loneliness, despair, terrible hatred, feeling unwanted, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless. They have forgotten how to smile. They've forgotten the beauty of human touch. They are forgetting what human love is. They need someone who will understand and respect them. And so there's a hunger in our communities for love, for connection, for community. 1 John 4 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So the people out there haven't seen God. We haven't seen God physically, but we see God in the love that we share between each other. And we take that love as we serve our communities. I've lost track of how many people look at Christian communities and say, there's something really special here. There's something unique here. It's the love of Christ that we carry between us. They can see that something authentic is there, something different is there. God's manifest because of the love that's between us. They see a place of belonging and connection. The church is so unique is that you can come in as an utter oddball and you can be connected into this love that God has. It's like no other community, no other place of acceptance. There's a hunger for love. There's a hunger for justice. The postmodern culture is really preoccupied with justice and compassion and transformation. And when the church gets in and begins to really work and serve and meet those needs, then people again can see that we're authentic. We don't just stand back and speak. We get involved and we act. One of the key vision statements God gave us when we moved here to Riverside was we should be good for everyone. And we still want to continue to be the church that has an impact on our community. People say that church is beneficial to our communities. Things like Grow Baby are just scratching the surface of actually meeting the needs that are in our community. We want God to reveal more of the needs to us so we can continue to meet them, continue to be a church that is bringing transformation, that's caring for the vulnerable and for the needy. And that's really important to people of our present culture. There's a hunger for transcendence. That means that people want to be more than they are. They think, well, this just can't be it. There can't be just life, can't just stop here. St. Augustine said this, my heart is restless until it finds rest in you. So people are restless out there looking for more meaning for life than life is currently giving them. We talked in the Overflow series that people are just finding materialism doesn't cut it anymore. It doesn't doesn't fulfill them. It doesn't matter how much stuff they've got. It doesn't meet the needs in their hearts. And so there's a hunger for true spirituality. And so we need to ask God, what are the hungers in our community? How can we meet the felt needs that are out there? How can we be where the people are? There's a famous ice hockey player called Walter Gretzky, and he attributed his success, 
He said, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck's going. And as the church, we are uniquely positioned to be able to skate to where the puck is going. The church shouldn't be playing catch-up all the time. The church should be able to pray and say, God, where do you want to position us ready for where things are going to be in society? Because God can prophetically speak to us and guide us and place us where we need to be to meet the needs in society. So where, God, where, where do we need to be? What ministries do we need to start? We don't have to be a reactive people. We can be a proactive people. We can ask God to lead us to what I call people of peace, people of connection into different spheres of society. People who've got influence into different people groups. So God, what are the hungers in our community that we can meet as we go and serve? We need to develop a love for the people and the locations where God has placed us. Who loves where they live? Some of you. <laughs> now, I'm not asking that question just based upon whether you've got nice neighbours or whether you've got a nice house or whether you're in a nice street. You know, God, I believe God places people in places because you carry the love of Christ into that area. We've always really prayed about where God wants us to live physically. God wants you to love your communities and where he's placed you. Because he loves this area. He loves these coastlands. He loves these towns. He loves the cities here. And he wants you to carry the same love that he carries for them. In the book of Jonah, Jonah, he's getting all upset about a plant that was shading him that's dying, withering under the sun. And God scolds him for his lack of compassion for the city of Nineveh, which is hanging the balance in terms of God's judgment. And, and God says to Jonah, you had compassion on the plant, which you didn't do any work for, and you didn't cause to grow, and it camped overnight and has perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as all the animals? So Jonah's getting worried about his plant dying, and God said, there's a city over there of 120,000 people who don't know which way is up. And you've completely lost perspective and compassion. And the Lord is saying, how can you look at so many lost people and not have compassion? How can you not have a heart towards them? See, people are made in the image of God. So you imagine towns and cities, you have a lot of people clustering together. And when you have a lot of clustering together, you have a lot of image of God together, yeah? So when God sees towns and cities, he sees a compact presence of his image he sees he sees his image condensed there in those places he's got a real love for towns and for cities and for bringing transformation to those places there's more image of god per square inch in a town or a city than in a rural setting isn't there so god would look down and see his image in those places compacted and condensed together and so he loves towns he loves cities he loves seeing transformation come to those places when the Babylonians um, overthrew the Israelites back in about 590 BC, they, they hoiked them all off to Babylon. They were exiled, the Israelites. And the, and, and the Babylonians loved to assimilate cultures and overwhelm them and submerge them into their own culture, which was a very sort of violent, uh, warlike culture. And uh, the false prophet Hananiah, he couldn't cope with this. And he prophesied, he said, well, don't worry. In two years, you're all going to be coming back again. So just keep yourselves to yourselves, keep your head down, and in two years, you're all coming back. Well, he was wrong. 
He was utterly wrong. 75 years the Israelites lived in Babylon. Imagine if they'd listened to Hananiah's words. They would have kept themselves segregated. They would have kept their heads down. They would have not connected with the society God had placed them in. They would have remained a little ghetto. But instead, God spoke through Jeremiah, who was a true prophet. And Jeremiah said this. He said, God tells you to increase in number. Do not decrease. That's in Jeremiah 29. He says, yes, maintain your distinct community and identity, but you're supposed to thrive. You're supposed to grow. He tells them to settle down and engage in the life of the city. You have to build homes, plant gardens. And most striking of all, God tells them to serve the city where he's placed them. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city and pray to the Lord for it. That's in Jeremiah 29.7. And this is what happened. The people of God flourished in Babylon. They gained influence in Babylon. And so in 75 years' time, they had enough influence to affect a, a re-commissioning um, back to their own land. They gained enough influence and connection in that society. They obeyed what God had asked them to do, and they flourished. Their values were in contrast to where God had placed them. They were serving a different God, but they connected fully into the life of that city. Because God said to them, if it prospers, you too will prosper. If it prospers, you too will prosper. God seems to tie the destiny of his people to the towns and cities where he's placed them. We're not called to be a ghetto. We're not called to be a bastion or a stronghold or a defence of God in these coastlands. We're called to be people who infiltrate and influence and pray for and connect with the towns and cities where God has placed them. Because God's put us here as part of his redemption plan. Amen? We're just not here to survive as Christians. We're here to be part of God's redemption plan for our coastlands as we serve them. So we're called to pray for them. We're called to connect into them. We bring transformation. How would you describe your attitude towards this area? Are you indifferent? Are you positive? Are you negative? What do you speak over your area? What comes to mind when you think about where God has placed you? It's really important. God has called us to love where we are and to pray for the prosperity of where we are. And we need to ask God for more of that love, more of that connection. Because you carry this life of Jesus. You, you are like a little beacon. So when you're out there and you're connecting with people, people are looking at you and saying, that's what a follower of Jesus looks like. Good. <laughs> so wherever you are in the supermarket, in your car, the petrol station, walking on the street, people are like, that's what a follower of Jesus looks like. That's what a follower of Jesus speaks like. That's how a follower of Jesus reacts when times are tough. You know, that's, that's what we carry into our communities. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying that's what you carry. That's because you're... Because God has placed you here to be part of the redemptive plan for your community. So if you're not loving the area, if you're not loving the people, say, God, I need to love these people. I need to have grace for these people. I need to, I need to have your heart. Because these people are made in your image. And uh, I want to carry that love to them. See, more and more this is happening. As we think about the cultures we're in. As we serve our communities... 
People are belonging, they're becoming, they're searching, they're believing. It, no longer, it, hap- it doesn't happen in these linear ways that people used to think that faith came about. It happens in these different spheres, these overlapping spheres of connection. And that's what we need to become more aware of, that God isn't... I had a friend come over from Argentina, a guy called Alejandro Rod- Rodriguez, his name was, and he was involved in the Argentinian revival. And he said, well, you know, we think God is doing this, and then God is doing this, and then God is doing this, and then God is doing this. He said, God is doing this. And he's waved his hands about all over the place. God is working all these different spheres all the time in different ways. And our Greek linear thinking doesn't help us often when we think about how people should come to know God or how they feel they should connect to God. But one thing is certain, as we serve our communities in love, people will be drawn into these different spheres. They might belong for a long time. They might even get involved in serving for a long time. They might find they've been transformed without even realising it for a long time. And at some point, there'll be a birthing process where they're born again and they find new life in Christ. And so people get drawn in through participation, get drawn in through experience, get drawn in through connection, all in this sphere of us choosing to to wash the feet of our towns, wash the feet of our neighbourhoods, serve the people that God has placed us around. And guys, we're only just beginning to scratch the surface, aren't we? We're literally just scratching the surface of what God wants us to do in our communities and towns. And I, I want God to put a holy dissatisfaction in your heart that the status quo is not acceptable. The status quo is not acceptable. You know, I want to put a divine itch in your spirit that things need to change. Things can't stay as they are. It's not just about holding the line. It's about advancing the kingdom of God going forth and bringing transformation. We must always tilt towards our communities. We can't tilt into church. We have to tilt towards our communities because that's our, that's our default. We turn inwards by default. That's human nature. And so we have to keep tilting ourselves back towards serving our communities, serving and seeking the lost. What might it look like for transformation to come to our coastlands? What might it look like? What might it look like? We can begin to dream, can't we? BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. (laughs) Things that only God can do. What would real transformation look like in our communities? What would it look like? I want to finish by reading um, Paul's word from 1 Corinthians 9. This is the message translation. This is Apostle Paul. He said, Even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I became just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I met into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Incredible words there from the Apostle Paul. I became all things to all people that I might save a few. 
So God is not asking you to lose your identity in Christ, not asking you to lose your bearings in Christ, but he's asking you to become a servant, just as he was a servant in our towns and communities, in the place, in the street, wherever he's placed you, all the different spheres that you occupy. How can you serve the people that God has placed you around? Let's stand together. I want to pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit this morning. So um, you might want to open your hands. Outward expressions often help inward choices. So when you put your hands out, you're kind of saying yes to an inward choice you might have made. And that's all there is to it. And also it's an expression of openness. So if you want to receive something, that often helps. So Lord, we just pray for a fresh infilling of your Spirit this morning. Come Holy Spirit. Fall upon us afresh. We are your precious children, dearly loved. And I pray this morning, God, that you would give us a fresh love for our towns, for our communities. I pray you let us see through your eyes the people you've placed around us. God, we wouldn't see them as as enemies. We wouldn't see them as um, foreigners. We wouldn't see them anyway, God, as people... Uh, that, that needs to intimidate us, God. We just see them as people who need you. Help us to build connections. Help us to build friendships. Help us to serve them. Give us opportunities, God, to serve this week in fresh ways, we pray. As we go in your authority, God, in your, in your humility, God, but also in the confidence of the gospel. Your gospel has the power to change. It's utterly unique in its power and its authority change. We don't have to defend it. We don't have to convince people about it, God. It's real. It's true. So Lord, help us to carry it. Help us to give it away. Help us to feel more deeply rooted in you this week. In Jesus' name. Spirit's just resting on you now. Just, just let him rest more. Just let him come in. Let him bed it in. Let him bring change. Your mind's often not your friend when it comes to spiritual things. So just tell your mind to shut up and receive from God this morning. Come in, Lord. You promise you put a measure of your spirit pressed down and overflowing, God. So full that it would have to bubble up, it would have to flow out. So we pray for that measure pressed down pressed down, condensed down, so much so it's like under pressure, it's going to bubble out this week it's going to spill out this week we pray for that in Jesus' name let it go I want to pray for those sometimes who feel like they're sort of in flux with their identity you know, sometimes you feel in a condemnation sometimes you find yourself almost like being spiritually proud Sometimes you feel that you oscillate between those two things. I want to just pray freedom on you this morning. Just freedom to walk in new identity, to walk in the security of who you are in Christ. So we just say, Lord, would you come and would you put your real identity in us, Lord God? We don't have to second-guess ourselves, Lord Jesus. We don't have to second-guess our motives. Just walk in your authority, Lord Jesus.
you know, I just feel God's going to give you an opportunity this week just to, just to try something new. Just to try something new in his authority. So, uh, Lord, we, just look, we look out for those opportunities. We look out for them, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's coming up on 12 o'clock, so if you've got kids and kids with you, get them. If you come for some uh, physical needs today or you want some personal prayer, please don't leave without coming to the front and getting some. And the key meal, can we come down, my friend? We're going to pray for you as well. We're going to bless you as you head back to Poland. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.